Let me read 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're only covering half of it tonight. It's verses 1 through 13. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I am in the ESV version. Everybody there? Alright, here we go. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No, so, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In verse uh, 10, anybody reading out of anything other than ESV? What what does it say where mine says elect? It's, it's his elect as well. He's a good news. And I mean, his elect as well. Okay. That's what I was wondering about. I was just curious. All right. Play the tape, Josh. Fails us again. Session two of Second Timothy. We're going to be in chapter two, verses one through. Can everybody hear that? We're going to talk about disciples making disciples. And so it starts with the Apostle Paul laying his hands on Timothy and saying, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control, but it doesn't end there. Just like when you encounter the one true God, put your faith in him. That is not the finish line. It's actually the starting line for the rest of your life. Which means that you are a disciple that makes disciples that makes disciples. In fact, real biblical discipleship is measured by replicating real biblical disciples. So Timothy is going to hear these words from the Apostle Paul. You then, my child. Again, you see the relational language that Paul is fathering and discipling young Tim. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Again, we've been covering this, that faith doesn't merely happen to you, it happens through you. And what we see here in this verse are four generations of disciplement. That Paul has been discipled, and now Paul is going to disciple Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy to find some faithful men and disciple them. Not just for their sake, but so that these faithful men can disciple and teach others. Again, faith is not something that merely happens to us, but it ought to happen through us. That disciples make disciples that make disciples. Now, can you really consider yourself a disciple if you've never made a disciple? In fact, the imperative in the Great Commission is this. Therefore, go and make disciples. And then what the Apostle Paul is going to do he is going to share three illustrations. He's going to talk about a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And a part of what he's talking about here is simultaneously 
God's sovereign hand in our discipleship and our responsibility for our discipleship. There's a lot of theologians and pastors that fight over those two things, our responsibility and God's sovereignty, but the Bible does not make that distinction. It says that we partner together in our discipleship. Now, why do you think he used the soldier and the athlete and the farmer? A few reasons. One, they're tough. I mean, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer are tough. And you got to be tough to be a Christian. It is not for the faint of heart. If you want an easy life, do not be a Jesus follower. It requires great work to follow in his footsteps. Secondly, I think what we see here in the athlete and the soldier and the farmer is this partnership between you and the Lord. You see, all three of those individuals need somebody's help. If you're an athlete, you can try as hard as you want to try, but you can only do with what you have been given. I remember when I was in high school, I had a very important conversation with my dad. I said, Daddy, I need some advice. Should I be a pro baseball player or a pro football player? And he said, son, I think you should study. And he was right. Because no matter how hard I try, it just wasn't in the cards for me. That, that the, the soldier cannot do it alone. The soldier needs other teammates, needs brothers in arms next to him in order to win the war. Maybe the best example of all is the farmer. That the farmer can till the soil, the farmer can plant the seed, he can water it, but he cannot make the seed grow. He needs God to do that. And then thirdly, I think the reason that he uses these three as an example is because all three require a great deal of perseverance. That nothing happens overnight. Just like discipleship is a long road. I was asking a dear friend of mine who is a Marine what he learned the first week in boot camp. And he let me know that the only thing he learned was how to walk in a straight line and how to clean up and how to make his bed. What his mom hoped he'd learn in the sixth grade. And so in the immediate, he thought he'd made a terrible mistake. But over the long haul, he knew that there was a purpose and a plan to turn him into a soldier. Maybe if you've been to the gym, you've experienced this. Maybe you've been off for a long time, but your your athleticism is coming back. And so you hit the gym and you work out and work out and work out. And the next day you see zero results. All you do is feel pain in places that you didn't know you had places or take the farmer. If you plant the seed day one and come out on day two and expect a harvest, you will be painfully disappointed because it takes a long so this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Your sanctification is going to take a So he says this in verse 3. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You see, as believers in Jesus, especially these days, we are so easily distracted by social media and Netflix and entertainment and hobbies and comfort. And we are supposed to be laser focused on the command that our master has given us. And the command that we have is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. He goes on to say in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. God has blessed us with the rules. He's given us the rule book and it's his word. And his rule book is both a map and a mirror. It's a map to show us how we ought to rightly live before a righteous God. It's also a mirror so that we can see that there's a problem and the problem is in and of ourselves. You see, this, this rule book is not really just a bunch of rules. It's actually a, a window for us to see Jesus through. So don't deceive yourself, but do what it says. Then he also says, it is the hardworking farmer we want to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. As you know, again, the farmer tills, he plants, he waters, but only God makes it grow. And the reality is, is that you reap what you sow. So if the farmer got up every day and all he did was pray for corn, guess what? He ain't getting corn. You have to plant corn to get corn. And so if you began to plant gospel seeds in your life, Plant these gospel seeds that over time, maybe not overnight, you and I will display gospel truth. And then after all of this hard work, which is so important, our partnership with the Lord in being the kind of disciple-making disciples that he has called us to be, what the Apostle Paul does is he brings us right back to the gospel. 
because he wants us to be reminded that we are not saved by works. We are saved to good works, but we are saved by grace. We are saved by Christ's finished work on the cross. That we are his workmanship and we are saved to good works, but it's not our works that save us. Why? You see, God is a good dad. He loves his kids. Like a good parent that will involve their children in some household chores, our Father has decided that for our own goodness and his glory, he calls us into his work, making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And so Paul reminds us of the gospel. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, the reason that we get to work is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it actually works. That lives are changed, that people are saved, that the gospel is spread. And then he finishes up by saying this in verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. That is about putting our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we are justified by that. Verse 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. That endurance is not a prerequisite of our faith. It is evidence of our faith. Then he says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. That sounds scary, but then there's good news. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He's saying, have faith in him. Because God is always faithful. He never gives up. He never gives up. He never gives up. In fact, Paul writes another letter to the Philippians. And in this, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that's not the finish line. That's actually the start. And then we get to work. As we receive the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by faith we are saved by grace, and then we get to work like an athlete, like a soldier, like a farmer, planting gospel seeds. And then by the power of God and the grace of God, those seeds begin to produce fruit in us. And we are disciples to make disciples to make disciples. I'm going to read 1 through 7 again, and then we'll cover it. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul first sentence, whoops, the strength of Timothy receives, the strength Timothy receives from Christ is meant to empower him for the work Paul is calling him to do, which is to teach the message of the gospel to others, to disciple other disciple makers. So question number one for tonight, and it might be a challenging one, because it might make you realize a failure in your life, because that's sometimes what happens as I read these questions to myself. To what extent have you been participating in the work of making disciples? Who are you discipling right now? And this is a tough question for me because uh, obviously I'm attempting to make disciples right now, but I find this church setting to be very easy at this. I'll say that I've been doing it for five whole minutes, but like, but it's that's the expectation is for me to come in here and do this. But like on a personal one one on one level, it's uh, more challenging because it's you have to try to fit it into to your schedule and the other person's schedule and like try to try to mesh. Uh, and there are a handful of people I'm discipling, but. What do you all think? To what extent are you participating in the work of making disciples? I think that anything you're going for, you know, I think the CEF that I'm involved in and get the ministry of those children, so you're involved in different aspects of that. I feel that that is, I feel like even 
coming here to church and visiting with folks on Sunday morning and how you doing and, and you know I think sometimes we maybe a little bit younger generation <coughs> say some things that have some some truth to them or have truth to them that could uh, ring true with them inspire them uh, you know I don't think it's always a I'm going to decide to let's sit down and let's let's do this you know I mean that's probably the best scenario but I think a lot of times we disciple uh, every day to some extent and just how we live and how we connect with people yeah we say so. yeah and just some of what you said what, what you were saying made me think like the discipleship relationship really doesn't ever end I guess at death it does, or that's when it should end, or when, when a, yeah, you know, even we're so connected by phones that say uh, somebody that you were really connecting with moves away. Well, you can still connect. I mean, you can still be in contact now. So, really, those relationships don't have an end date; they're ongoing, especially within the church. It's not like it's not like one, just because Mary Harold comes to church frequently doesn't mean that she doesn't need discipleship in her own life sorry i'm picking on you i'm just you're the first person i saw we all need we all need ongoing discipleship that goes for all of us so any other examples has anybody seen any on the other aspect there's i need to be doing more discipleship like finding somebody and like seeking them out and you know just yeah, you remember when Mac was talking about me this past week, he said he could tell that I had like my he could tell that I was interested. And that's why he was able to persist. Uh, maybe not, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but in a more assertive manner because he could tell something was going on. And I think maybe that's what you're saying. Like if we see somebody whose eyes are open or like they're interested, that's when we should really lean in hard. I find it ironic that these are the things that I have written down about first Timothy or second Timothy. He's a soldier. When you take a soldier, he makes a a vow to his commanding officer. Our commanding officer is Jesus Christ. We're to be obedient to him. Am I right, Bob, to be obedient to your commanding officer? Yes. And then you've got the, the athletes. They have to follow the rules because if they don't follow the rules, they will lose everything. And then the farmer is the one that plants the seeds. And I think that was all right. He was saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. I like that passage about uh, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And the connection he made with like all the distractions that we have, we get entangled in things that don't glorify God, which is essentially sin. You know, if we're if a month goes by and we haven't done anything God honoring, where where are we? You know. Okay. The idea of being strengthened by Christ and our need to be strengthened carry forward in Paul's next statement as he implores Timothy to share in suffering or endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Throughout his time following Jesus, Paul modeled what is what he what it means to suffer and endure well. So here's another tough question. I think it's tough anyways. In what ways have you suffered because of your Christian faith? So Paul has many examples of suffering. In this letter, he's he's bound by chains, he says in verse 9. So he's obviously suffering. Have you all suffered in any way? Not because of your own personal sin, because we've all done that. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Have you suffered because of your faith? This, this letter to Timothy was Paul's farewell letter to because he... He wrote this farewell because he knew he was going to Rome. And you had a person in Rome, Nero, that was killing Christians. So this is what I found out in this. And he wanted to encourage them. 
because he knew he, he was going to leave, and they, they would have to pick up where he left off. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about suffering in my own life, and I did. I can't think of any. I may be starting to deal with a little bit of. I guess the only real suffering that I've dealt with is like. It's not suffering. It's not somebody else persecuting me per se, but it's heartbrokenness. Could I mean it? I consider that suffering. Like I, I'm I'm boldly sharing with one person in particular right now, and uh, I'm not saying it's not going anywhere, but it's. It's uh, it's that Muslim guy, and it's just a back and forth. Like he's trying to make. It's not argumentative. It's just discussion. But he'll make a point, and I'll make a point, and he'll ask a question, and I'll answer a question, and he'll challenge my question with a question to me. And it's, uh, it's not suffering in the in the extent like he's being evil to me or anything like that. It's just sort of heartbreaking, kind of. I don't know. I don't know how to really get that across uh, I just want him to see the truth for what it is and I just need to be more patient in that but that's a bit of suffering it, it hurts your heart you know when you when you see the truth so vividly clear and you feel like you're explaining it in a clear way and this it's especially confusing in a, in a Muslim because of his devotion to what he thinks is true it's like we're shooting truth guns at each other, and one of us is right and one of us is not. <laughs> no, they believe in one God. They believe that is the thing. It's one God. They, God, Jesus is not God in Islam. Uh, in Islam, Jesus is just a prophet. Like, uh, I. But, but he's, he's so wrong by looking beyond the verse of, you know, Jesus. Well, that's the problem. Like, they're, what they hold to be, the, the, the Quran is not the same as our writings. So they believe that to be true, and we believe this to be true, and some aspects of their stuff lines up, not really much, but like, um, it's just it's it's heart it's heartbreaking it's hard it's difficult and that's how I'm suffering right now because it's sort of a headache. <laughs> I enjoy talking with them, uh, but it's it's a big challenge. It's a challenge I've never faced before because most lost people that you encounter, they just don't they don't want they don't seem to want any part of godliness. It's just my I'm fine doing what I'm doing. And there's nothing you can say or do to change that. Whereas a faithfully devoted Muslim person, I mean, the way that he's walking his life, he is he is living faithful with, faithfully to what he believes to be true. And it's especially confusing because some aspects of it are uh, honorable. In my, as I'm listening to him, and and I'm like, wow, that, you're taking this really, really seriously, and you can see uh, how it affects his life. But but the things that he believes are just not true. There's no there's no assurance in Islam. You do all these things. You pray. You pray. Five, there's five times a day you're supposed to pray. You have to remain clean. Like you can't eat anything without washing your hands. There's all these cleanliness rules, just like in uh, the Old Testament. There's all these things you have to do. And I and I said to him, "Doesn't that ex- aren't you exhausted doing all that?" And he's like, "No, I love it." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, I guess." It's because it gives them the sense of earning their salvation. Right. There's no assurance in salvation. It's you do all of this stuff in hopes that at the end God considers you good enough for So he's trying to earn Yes. Yeah, it's a works based faith. Um I said there's my daughter Rebecca went to in college went to Jacob and she spent like six weeks or one week there, I think it was. And she, that was her biggest thing when she came back home. This mom, they don't know what to do. You know, and the girl that she was with, you know, the family she stayed with, she was just heartbroken. But she witnessed to her, and she took our Bible to her, you know, and all that. But she's like, you 
know, it's they're so they did all the things, you know, the rituals and stuff that they do. But she said, she she said, my heart broke because I couldn't get her to understand. She said, but that's all they know. She sees it, live it. It's a yeah, it's a cultural thing. Like he believes that he was born Muslim. I'm like, you can't be can be born anything. You're born sinful. About it. So that's where I'm suffering right now. I mean, it's not. I don't know that you consider that suffering or not. But anybody else have any examples of suffering? Um, one aspect is um, when I first became um, a Christian and and I started had a, a close relationship with Christ. A lot of the friends and close friends that I had when I was in the workforce was there, but then once my lifestyle changed, I lost them. I mean, the, I mean, and it kind of because, you know, we were close group of friends, but because my lifestyle had changed and, you know, gone out all the time or talking the way that they thought bothered me and I didn't, you know, wasn't a part of that anymore, then I lost what was worldly friends. I mean, we're still acquaintances and stuff, but we're not, I'm not in that close-knit group with them anymore. So you can lose people that you, you know, care about. Same thing with family members, I got family members that person you know. but if you lose contact with him you can always hope that you plant the seed and somewhere later on he'll come to realize you know he might have point yeah and turn it well I'm learning through through the talking with him he uh, there's fruit in it for me already like he is challenging me in ways that talking to white folks from our country wouldn't challenge me. Like he's asking uh, deeper questions like, what, do you, what are your beliefs about uh, Judgment Day? And that's something that I've chosen to sort of ignore, honestly, because it makes my head hurt and I don't have all the answers. And if, I, if my faith is in Jesus, I don't really necessarily care what happens in the end times because I'm going to be with him anyways. So why am I going to spin my wheels and bog myself down? And I'm not saying it's, it's, it's probably more wrong of me to have this. But he said, of course, he asked me the question today. What are your thoughts on Judgment Day? And I'm like, gosh, dang it. Now I have to formulate an opinion. <laughs> I did tell him all of those things. I said 100% authenticity. I have not spent a whole lot of time really dwelling on this because I don't need to because my faith and hope is in Jesus. And if I die today or if Judgment Day happens right now, I'm with him. If it happens 100 years from now, I'm with him. That's good enough for me, you know. So, Great Commission is not to figure out the Bible and try to predict the future. Right. It's to disciple people and see people say. But the cha- but the challenge is, uh, I did provide an answer. I provided a more theological answer than the one I just gave, but I also pro- gave that one as well. But you think, like, I'm not an apologetics guy. I haven't really thought, like, I'm going to have to defend my faith. Well, here I am now, you know. (laughs) So he's kind of forcing me to, in a good way, to 
understand why I need to pay attention to these things. You were going to say something. I was going to say just maybe it's nerve-wracking. I mean, maybe he has trust in his faith, but that would seem nerve-wracking to me. I mean, do they leave the same judgment day? But, you know, if their reliance into heaven is based on their works, judgment day is going to be a little different for them than us, right? Yeah, because your works don't mean it. I mean, but that, but you see what I mean? Maybe he is so anxious about Judgment Day. I hope that's the case. I'm hoping that his questions are genuine. I'd be, I'd be curious to see what, why he's concerned about it. Right. Because if it's a works-based thing, he needs to be concerned. That's probably why. It is 100% works-based. Yeah. I mean, it's. He's concerned whether it's been good or not. Yeah. That's all it is. It's, yeah. 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 I'm trash. That's the whole point of Jesus. He did what I can't do for myself. I think that's the point of it. And I've told him that time. I've told him over and over. That's the beauty of Christianity that we're never going to be good enough. That's why Jesus came. But then he's asking deeper questions like, well, if Jesus, if, if Jesus, I'm getting off first Timothy, but this or second Timothy, but this is still productive. He's saying, um, if Jesus came to save the world, how come people didn't change? And I said, well, that's not really, that wasn't really the goal. You know, the goal is that all we have to do is believe. And, and we were redeemed at that point. Like we are saved at that point. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but that wasn't the intent. You know, well, Satan is still roaming the earth, keeping us blinded as much as he can from seeing the changes that God has done. But as Christians, majority of the point of time, the blinders are off because we have Christ and we can see the truth. There are times when, you know, we fall and falter when the blinders are covering our eyes again. But with him and Jesus, we can see the truth and see the goodness that happened when he did send Christ, where they cannot see it because they're blind. Mm-hmm. And as I think about suffering, like if he was to turn to Jesus, this Muslim friend of mine, he is a, I would consider him a friend of mine. Uh, we, let me back up. The first time we, we sat down together, he said, we sat for, together for five minutes. He said, I feel like we've known each other for a very long time. I said, I didn't feel that same thing. You know, it was, it was obscure. But if he was to walk away from Islam and turn to Jesus, his culture is dramatically different than ours. His wife wears a hijab. His kids wear his. He has a. He has two daughters. They both wear hijabs. Is that my saying that right? I don't know how to say it. And uh, his culture, their culture is dramatically different than ours, and his whole world would dramatically change. He'd be about Oh yes, yes. And if he came to faith and his wife didn't. What's that do to his family? You know, so I'm walking on. Required to leave him then? I'm walking on shaky ground. He told me something. There's the rules. There's like a Muslim. I think he said a Muslim man can marry a Christian woman, which makes absolutely zero sense to me. And he told me the reasons for that, and I don't remember them. That was like hour four of the conversation. I was kind of. Yeah, I was kind of checked out at that point. (laughs) But uh, anywho, yeah. So that is a bit of suffering for me that that I've I like this guy a whole lot. I mean, I go as far to say that I love this guy. You know, as as that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to love our neighbor. And hopefully there's fruit. There will end up. There's already fruit, uh, but hopefully there's gospel saving fruit in the end. Okay. As a good soldier of Christ, Timothy is not to get entangled in civilian pursuits or things that distract from the mission. What civilian pursuits do you find it difficult to stay away from? I knew that was going to be the word. What does it look like to keep yourself focused on pleasing Christ and staying on mission and all that you do? So what in the world distracts you from, I feel like we ask this question every week, but it happens to all of us. What What's pulling you away from the faith? Business. Business, news. Other people sometimes. 
What does it look like to keep yourself focused on pleasing Christ and staying on mission in all that you do? Discipline. I think setting, like I'm thinking about what you do on Monday nights, like setting up clear times, like at this time, on this day, I'm going to do this thing. And, you know, like staying committed to a, I'm a guy that needs, I'm, yes, I need routine. I need direction. I need structure. Yes. And if I, if I leave it up to myself, I'm just going to lay on the couch and eat Pop-Tarts. I mean, (laughs) so I've got to set a, I've kind of got to set a, a routine, you know, I don't always stick to it. And I often fail in it, but I think routine is important or will slip away. I think just being like real obnoxious self is the biggest distraction that I have. Can you elaborate on it? What keeps me from growing in Christ? Being being my obnoxious self. Being selfish. Being, just being me. You, you know what? That verse, you know, that we have to die to self. I have to do, I have to remind myself of that constantly or I'm out doing stuff, you know, being obnoxious if I don't die to myself every single minute. And, and sometimes, you know, it just, you have to remind yourself, stop, stop, stop being you. Well, I think that's a healthy thing, though. I mean, to be aware that I've got to, I don't want to say kill myself every day. I want, I'm going to have to die to myself this morning as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I am yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, because I, I am. I'm a very, gosh, I just, I can't imagine how bad I'd be if I didn't think about it constantly. You know? I think you're going to check your human nature, right? Like, you humanly want to. Or tell somebody to read the Bible, and it's like, oh, I didn't even realize how many ways I was messing up. <laughs> I think like, it's kind of that convicting feeling, like, well, am I ever going to get better? Because I'm still that human person that wants to, yeah, you know, do wrong. And the more you read, the more you figure out just how little you're doing right, and that's kind of feels like suffering sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you're unique in that you're the only selfish person in the room. And totally, extremely obnoxious. No one can stop me off obnoxious. Stop being obnoxious. I've run into this too, where you try to teach your kids, you know, like discipleship, teaching them things from the Bible, and then suddenly they're like, hey, why does this person do that? Or... Why do we gloss over this? And it's like, oh. So now, like, I've made time to intentionally disciple, and I get rapid-fire questions that I get to know. Mm-hmm. I'm up with answers, too. Catch off this. My team hanging out with that Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> what did I do? I said, our kids are like, you hanging out with Muslim guy, just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Even the ear shines no, yeah. No test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm such oh. an angel. <laughs> but I think that's also kind of what builds you up because you know that your job isn't always easy and it's never finished. Especially with a child when they come back and they, you know, when you're discipling children. You find out real fast how quick they can change it and make it be this way when you're trying to teach them it's that way. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's constantly we're constantly on, on you know, you're always trying to do that. But thank goodness God's done for us. You know, He's He's been there. He's always the one that we can go to, even when we fail. You know, when we're not doing what we need. Or, 
Yeah, and I, as we think about children, don't be aiming in now. <laughs> as we think about, I, I, I'm just thinking about discipleship and like how our home is the the starting point, uh, and that's where I, not that I fail constantly there, but that's where you're challenged the most because that's where you spend 95 percent of your time. So and they see it all. Oh yeah, they see the good, the bad. The, uh, oh yeah. So like, I can talk to a Muslim man for four hours and be patient and kind to him, but I don't have to live with him. So, uh, you know, last night Isaac and Silas are at the house. Parker comes in bleeding. I'm yelling at every kid around. I'm like, "You all go home. Why are you crying, Parker? Why are you bleeding?" And so the new church kids are seeing me act like a dinosaur, and my own. You know, I don't even know what's going on myself. I'm just. I've hit the point of the day where I'm no longer interested in being very nice. You know, and <laughs> that's just how it is sometimes. And so I'm the same way. Like. Uh, why at that point do I decide I'm not really interested in loving my neighbor anymore, my physical neighbor or my own children. I'm just going to blow up and lose it for five minutes and, you know, act a fool. And, and the world tells us over and over again, you know, that that's okay. That's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, and that's what the scripture said. Yeah. It's, it's not okay to miss your grandkids now because I asked you two or three days after they left if you miss them and you were like not yet seven Paul concludes his line of thought by encouraging Timothy to think over what he said for the Lord will give you understanding in everything how often do you set aside time to simply think over what you're learning in the Bible or what you've learned in a sermon to what extent do you trust that God will enable you to understand what you're learning What's the last question? to what extent do you trust that God will enable you to understand what you're learning Uh, there's been a time in my life where I didn't 
I didn't know that God was maturing me in a certain way until something bad happened and I was able to get over it really quickly. And I thought, oh, well, that was neat. I didn't even know that I was being grown in that way. You know, because you, you beat yourself up in certain areas where you where you where you really fail that are obvious to you, like uh, yelling at your kids or whatever when they get annoying. That's one or there's several others. But then something dramatic happens and it really doesn't affect you in a way that that it once would have. I had no idea that I was being that I that I had matured in that certain area until it happened. And I was like, oh, well, that's pleasant. That didn't that wasn't near as bad as I thought that was going to be. And I had no idea that that was the case until the trial came, you know, and I don't even know if that answers the question. To what extent do you trust that God will enable you to understand what you're learning? And I think that just came from biblical maturity, like, hey, this is not the end of the world. You know, this isn't a threat to my life. And and if it is a threat to my life, I just get to be with Jesus. So if that's your actual worldview, there's so much peace in that, that that what's the word, you know, what's the worst that can happen? In this situation, I think when you're reading the Bible and it really comes to life to you, or you really have an insight or an understanding, something, those aha moments, or it just, you might process it over a week's time and think about something. But I think that that's, you can kind of tell there that, that God's making it real to you, that yeah, it's sinking in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> takes a while to sink into this thick skull. Well, I think sometimes, especially when we're, you know, witnessing to people or talking to people, and they're like, I tried reading the Bible, it didn't make any sense to me. And, you know, when, generally, when I sit down to read or study, you know, and even on Sunday mornings, you know, we pray that, you know, that God opens our eyes, you know, to what He has, what He wants for us, what He wants to say to us out of His Word. And, yeah, we just have to please trust that he's going to to show you, um, you know, and guide you in. Yeah. Well, and so many times you might read a passage and you don't get anything out of it. And then two days later you pick it up and you hit that same spot and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't see that before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those aha moments, but it's also a God moment that means, wait a minute, this is what I was trying to get you to figure out two days ago. And now that you're looking at it with a different mind, you see what I'd say. Yeah. I'm taking a class right now called Biblical Hermeneutics, and that is a fancy word for understanding things in context. It's just, you know, we, we have a big picture view of what the Bible's, the, the biblical narrative is. And then, so we're, we're supposed to understand the Bible in a big picture view, but we're also supposed to understand it in the way that it was written and to whom, to who, I never know how to use who or whom, to who it was written and to why it was written and also not to pull out uh we're supposed to be able it's clear to us that it's applicable to our life now but we're supposed to read it in the context in which it was written like it's easy in first and second timothy to understand um this letter was written to timothy as an encouragement to timothy the pastor to to run his church well or the church at ephesus well that's easy to understand the context of first and second timothy because it's very simple but many times you get tied up in uh an old testament book and it's not that is not the case at all and you're like this what does this mean i have no idea and um i just think sometimes you just gotta understand that god's got something for you in that that confusion it's not always super super clear but uh remember in in maybe it's in second timothy it's either in first or second timothy i think it's second timothy three sixteen. all scripture is god breathed and is profitable for teaching reproof rebuke basically all scripture is good all scripture is breathed by god all scripture is god inspired 
and I don't have a clue how or why I got on this tangent, but I feel good about all the things I just said. <laughs> well, I think in that, in that question you were asking about like spending time and thinking about, um, you know, going over things that God has, has uh, shown and um, had a thought. Yeah, it's getting it's getting late, isn't it? Well, it could be like if someone you're talking to someone that's having going through a hard time, you know, maybe something you said three weeks ago, you know, it comes to your mind and you're it's leaving the talking to them, pulling out the scripture and referring to what you had said and it's just like, oh, I guess I was paying attention, you know. Yeah. But you retain that and it and it might be something that was said three weeks ago, but you are getting out of what the sermon because I think that was a question when do you realize that you were actually grasping what was what you what you're being taught right you know, where like down the road you're able to reference scripture to help somebody out in need don't worry about understanding the Bible the Bible understands you <laughs> I think sometimes we get, we try to, I was talking to a guy today, and he's telling me this, and I come in, and, he, and I'm like, wow, you're going too deep, buddy, you're going to confuse yourself, you know? Sometimes I think we dig too deep and try to put too much together. I know we need to understand the context and the culture and different things that were happening at that time, and that does give us insight, but I think sometimes we just need to read it like Chip says, read it at face value, mm-hmm. let it speak to you right there where you're reading and maybe not worry about looking all over the Bible for something to support it. And, yeah. I mean, you know. You lose that childlike faith. Yeah. And you just kind of, I get myself confused. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, what I started to say was, you know, I think sometimes in the, the busyness of the age, I mean, it just seems like these days everybody is so busy. And you know, you talked about distractions and things that distract you, and sometimes it's just the busyness that distracts you. And sometimes it's like checking off boxes, you know, okay, read, read two chapters in my Bible, you know, got to pray, got to do this, and it's just like, read, 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 you know, and you've got all this stuff you want to say to God and ask God, and we forget to take time to just be quiet and ask Him to speak to us or think about what we read, and you know, or in your prayer time, like I said. It's supposed to be a conversation with God. It's not very much fun to have a one-sided conversation. So you gotta be like, you know, allow time for him to speak into. Mm-hmm. And I think too, as we consider discipleship, we always must remember that we must remain a disciple at all times. So like the consistency of showing up here on Wednesday nights to study with other people because I don't know about you all, but I learn so much by other people's questions. Like somebody will ask a question. I'm like, I've never thought about that ever, ever. Not even, not even close to that thought. Uh, and God has rewarded me greatly in just the consistency of Bible study together with other people that when we have a desire to study the word and we stay consistent in doing it, well, that's what discipleship is. I mean, it's just a love for the word is, is, is the whole point. You know, Jesus is the word. He's the one that delivered all of this message and we're, we're here to study it. So that's part of our discipleship journey. But as, as we're also supposed to be discipling other people along the way. So we are to be discipled and to be a disciple all at the same time. One of the reward would be disciples someone seeing how God is revealing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You Make sure. remember the Bible is the only book you can read and the author is always with you when you read. Mm-hmm. I'm going to skip down to my last question that I have highlighted. What fears keep you from giving yourself more fully to the work of disciple-making? How can you keep Paul's words to Timothy in the previous chapter that God has not given you a spirit of fear in the forefront of your mind as you pursue discipleship? So what kind of fears hold you back from disciple-making? 
for me, it's just like I said in the very beginning of this. It's easy for me to come up, come in here, and speak boldly because I know you all have the desire to hear bold biblical talk, or else you wouldn't be here. But the people that I encounter uh, that are going through life blindly, I. I get hung up speaking boldly to them, like, "Hey, Jesus has a, Jesus already has a plan written all out for your life. Uh, would you be interested in, in following that plan or hearing more about that?" Like, it's as simple as that. Many times, you don't have to beat people over the head with Bible verses, but just a simple sentence like that, and I drop the ball on a daily basis. <laughs> so uh, that's my, I, I guess it's just a fear of, uh, it's a subconscious fear of rejection, I guess, because half the time I don't hardly even know the people and they lob me up a softball and I just don't even swing at it, you know, which makes absolutely no sense. So that's my fear. I'm a sissy, I guess, a lot of times. Then I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I might have been afraid. You were talking about that part of it. Was he nervous to say something to you? Uh, not to me. I don't think in that instance. But there, there are times when he's nervous. Like he sort of dropped the ball miserably on the. We went to Tanzania, and there were. It was just unfamiliar territory, and he was going. He was going through a lot of stuff, and like he's the boldest guy that I know. Um, and I'm not saying that there's not more bold people, but in my life, up to this point, he's been the most sold-out person for the gospel that I've ever encountered. And he dropped the ball in a dramatically <laughs> bad play in Tanzania. Like, he didn't want to be there. He he wore it all over his face that he didn't want to be there, and he admitted it. Like, he was just going through. It took him, like, six months to admit it. Uh, to to us or to me, but he he's gone through a lot. His mom, his mom was either dying or died, all in that t- amount of time, and just things. I think he's going through. He was going through a little bit of burnout, sort of, and um, I don't know how that ties into fear, but just I don't know. I don't need to be speaking on for him, anyways. But uh, my brother went on a mission trip one time and good friend him. authenticity is very important too and if you don't know which many times I don't know just say I don't know all the answers for certain if I did know I wouldn't need faith but I but I do need faith tell them what's true in your life yeah yeah that's what I was going to say one thing they can't argue with is your experience you say all I know this is from Joseph all I know is once I was this way and now I'm this way and the only thing that changed in between was him. Mm-hmm. I find the hardest thing, the hardest people to witness to are your siblings. They grew up with you and they knew how mean you were. In fact, my brother said to me, it wasn't about two years ago, he's talking about him coming over. He said, well, you know we don't come over there because you go to church all the time. Well, to me, my going to church was a witness to him. And it told Bonnery I like that in there. <laughs> but I'm going to stay that way. I've been that way since I've got saved. And I will not change. 
because my, I served my Lord. And where did her? Come up with some different people. I've got friends in Indiana that don't believe like I do. And uh, they want to come over to the house. So I say, fine, I'm home one day. You can come over. I have this to do on that day. You can come over. In fact, she called me today and she said, I've been trying to get you all week. And I said, I mean, I'm busy all week. So I, it's not being mean, it's just they have their belief and I have mine. I don't believe I can lose my salvation. And she does, and she thinks every time you turn around and do something wrong, you've got to get baptized to get in the water, get in the water, all that. I'll Oh dear, I've kept you, I've kept y'all long enough. I say that, but I looked out the window last weekend or last Wednesday, and there were people out here till eleven o'clock. What were y'all doing out here? Might not, yeah. might not need to know. <laughs> Would somebody mind to pray us out of here, other than myself? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this kind of in your house. We thank you for taking this leadership. We thank you for your spirit that lives within us. We thank you that you encourage us and strengthen us each and every day. We thank you that you are opening our eyes continually to your truths and always teaching us and always revealing yourself to us. And we just thank you for your spirit with this kind of presence every day. Extra blessing upon every family that's represented here. With all those on our hearts and minds on the prayer list tonight that are in need of comfort and peace and healing, we just pray that you will comfort them, heal them, for your will. Be with us in the days to come this week before we come back together on Sunday. Give us a, give us a testimony by Sunday of someone you spoke with, someone we were more bold than normal, and uh, we stood up for you and uh, were proud to be a Christian. It's your Sunday. Amen. Mm-hmm.